Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of SIDCast. I'm your host, David Gibson. I've been with you since, gosh, uh, October. Um, 20 episodes in. I thought I was only going to do 14 of these, Jason. What what are we doing, man? Uh, first of all, yeah, thank you all for downloading, subscribing. Um, if you've downloaded every 20 of these episodes, let me know. I, I'd, I'd love to know. Uh, Jason, you big you you big podcast listening guy? I listen to them at work mainly just because I don't like to have visual distractions, but it gives me something in my office when it's not quiet. I listened to the one you did with Zach Shore uh, no more than a couple days ago just because <laughs> he picked at me knowing that I was coming on it. So yeah, um, I think I'm a little I'm a month too late on this, but it's podcast month. And yes, uh, yes. <laughs> so, what what is your favorite podcast? Not this one. You don't have to say this one. You don't feel don't feel so, obligated. Ironically, um, he doesn't know this, but Chris Yandel, I used to listen to his, and it used to be my top. Um, but I jumped ship, and I now am strictly a Major League Baseball Chicago because I'm a Cub fan, as you can see in the office. Uh-huh. Um, huge Cub fan, but. That's what I've been doing is kind of just getting more in depth. About two years ago, I was an everyday Cub fan nonstop for the past tw- for, t- for the first 26 years of my life. And then four years later, I'm now about to be 31. Four years later into that stint, I was a only if they were on TV. And I kind of lost the whole minor league system, what was coming up, who we were coming. So then when Schwarber showed up last year, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> and so I had to get back to my roots and that's what i've been doing mostly is the mlb cast a lot of what i listen to yeah i love my favorite personally not besides this one i love doing this but i do have a favorite uh the solid verbal i'm a huge college football guy uh ty and dan have a great banter and sometimes they do really really fun stuff like uh, you know there was a obviously march madness was here and they did like a secret garbage bracket to where people thought was like really great, like Las Vegas and the NFL, but are just absolute trash to, to like yeah. in reality. So that's my favorite. Uh, how about we jump into some SID stuff? How does that sound, Jason? Before that, who was your pick this year in the tournament? Who Ooh, you got? I had North Carolina. Uh, oh. Still in it. Um, on the other side, uh, I'll be honest. Did not have Gonzaga or South Carolina. <laughs> had more or less Arizona. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was really surprised Kansas didn't make it uh, to the Final Four. I was. Well, I'm lucky right now. I've got two of the four. Uh, I've really? Got Oregon, I've got Oregon winning the entire thing. Um, so that's the biggie. I had Gonzaga and I had Oregon making it all the way to the Final Four, but I didn't have Gonzaga making it into the championship, and no one had South Carolina, so it's been great. So that's good to hear you still got one in. Yeah, I was listening to actually, uh, uh, gosh, I can't think of it right now, Bruce Feldman and somebody else are on a, another college football podcast, and they were talking about like the worst college realignment decision ever, and how they talked about if South Carolina would have stayed in the ACC, they would have probably been a prom- like a huge basketball powerhouse, but instead they moved to a football-focused SEC. Um, so it was that. That was a pretty neat thought. Uh, hadn't really thought about that. So, um, you ran cross country and track. Technically, cross country at one school because they didn't have a track program. Cross country and track at another school. Uh, I know this kind of life. What was it like being uh, trying to get some experience in sport, but also 
trying to be an athlete at the same time? Well, it was about organization more so. Um, a small fact you may not know about me, but you might see in a resume, I worked for Chick-fil-A for seven years. Um, at one school, we had practice in the afternoons. And the other school, we had practice early in the morning, weightlifting in mid-afternoon, and then another individual practice, if it was a track base or if it was a, a sprint workout week, you might have a pool session or something like that. Um, but what I used to do to stay organized is I worked at Chick-fil-A. From, I would get up at 4 in the morning, and I worked the early morning truck shift where I was there at 4.45 until 11 o'clock. Um, then I took class from about 12 until 3.30. Um, each day, and then we I got out just in time to grab a quick, I kid you not when I say this, a quick Oreo ice cream and a glass of water. I don't know why, but it was like a, a habit. If I didn't have an Oreo ice cream, my yeah. ice cream was done for the day. Um, I don't know if it was a, sh- a short sugar or what it was, but it was something I loved to do, and then water to get it out of my system and keep me hydrated. But um, I would do that and go straight to practice, and then as soon as practice ended for cross country, we usually would start around 4 Cross country doesn't last like the three hours that you have baseball. You either have a good hardcore quality hour-long session on a speed day or a good workout session or cross country when you're doing a distance run that day. You might do a a seven-minute clip, a six, then you go down all the way down like a 5.10 at the end of your workout where you're starting out slow, building the way in maybe on a 10-mile or something like that. Um, But I would usually finish most days by 6 o'clock. I would have a... On Sundays, I used to cook for the entire week, so I would already have my meals prepped in advance. So what I would do is I would grab one of my meals that was already prepped, take it to the second floor of the Centennial Center at Georgia College, and put it in the microwave, put my stuff down while it was cooking, start it, come back, and just get into what we were doing, whether it was soccer. Um, In the spring, it was a little easier because we had most of our races were on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so I didn't have that issue. And we had a 45-minute long to an hour long practice but the way I juggled it was more so just a trust factor it was more so that the SID at Georgia College his name was Al Weston he's still one of my biggest mentors to this day um he actually called me today the the school's newspaper where I went is wants to interview me on the colonnade for being an alumni and whatever Mm -hmm. and being this new position with the AII that I just took while still at Georgia Burnett so they're going to reach out to me. But I'm a big contributor back to my college. I ironically got a bobblehead sitting right on my desk. <laughs> um, but that's what it did. It was just getting my foot in the door. And if there was a design project, if it was writing, um, it was always just knowing that they trusted the work that I did. And they knew that if I wasn't there, I was still getting it done. Or if I was on the road, they could send me an assignment and I could get it into them and, and do whatever I needed to do. Or they could send me game notes. Or they could send me something to revise and I would do it right then and there. But organization was the main reason why I was able to do it. Um, I showed up at every event. We had basketball men's, women's basketball men's. We had women's soccer only. Uh, we had a really good baseball and softball program. Um, they just got volleyball when I left, when I graduated and went to Florida State from there. Um and I'm missing a sport somewhere. I can't remember what else we had. We had something else there, too, as well. Oh, swimming and diving. That's what our, They only had swimming, though, not diving. They had swimming. But just doing all the events and just being a part of it, um, I think the biggest thing that, that helped me prepare to study and be in the SID world and get that experience was 
Uh, we had something there called the Thundercats. Uh, it was our student organization, like how you have the Duke Crazies or yeah. you have Dole Zone at Florida State. Um, I headed that up with a guy named, by the name of Chris McCorkle my junior year of college. So while I wasn't running cross country, I wasn't doing SID stuff. I was also learning marketing, promotion, fan engagement, and all those other opportunities where they pretty much came to me and Chris at the time. And Chris was about to graduate and leave, so I was still there. And I was like, well... They came to me with this idea that they were like, look, you tried to raise all this money back in the day to do a mascot, and it didn't go anywhere as a group. What do you really want to do? What do you want to be your legacy when you leave as a senior? So, yeah, cross country was great. Awesome. It helped pay for college. Yeah. Um, doing SID stuff was still what got me there. But at the end of the day, I was like, holy cow, I could make a lasting impact. So I bring out the bobblehead again. Um, this is my Thunder the Bobcat, and I always claim it as my Thunder the Bobcat. And the reason for that is they, they've been the Bobcats since the early 2000s, but they never had a mascot on campus. So with the six-month campaign and $25,000 raised later, um, we introduced the mascot, Thunder, um, had like a naming, a design for it, everything, huge contest on campus, and then we released it on November 11th, 2007. Um Big ACDC Thunderstruck debut, that type of thing. So that yeah. was my lasting legacy of kind of what I did. I left that mark on the school. And I still get a bunch of emails about it here and there. People still call me Thunder when I go back. And I'm like, just call me Jason and just stop. Because I actually was the mascot, too. Uh -huh. um, I was the one since I created it. They allowed me to be the mascot for the first year. I tried out. It wasn't, oh, hey, just because you did it. I actually tried out and wanted to do it. Um, if you get bored and you ever want to see some great photos of me in my younger years of dressing up as a crazy fan when I was in college, I used to do full body paint for whatever team we were playing. I would have a jersey or I would have a breast cancer awareness peak out outfit with hula skirts or spider full size Spider-Man suit. You <laughs> name it, we did it. I used to have a 12 inch mohawk. It was it was fun. So if you ever get bored, check those out on Facebook. But that's that's what kept me into it. What about, uh, I want to go back to the very beginning. What made you, you kind of talked about what it meant to you and, and, and everything. What made you get into sports information to begin with? Being a cross-country runner because we never got media exposure. Um, and you and I can connect yeah. on this. Uh, number one, my mother and my father, I love them to death. They know that I mean this and no angst. They can't get on the road and go see me the way that baseball mom and dads or soccer mom and dads get on the road and go do those things. Um, cross country, we have five miles, sometimes 6.2, uh, depending <laughs> on what the course is. You're not going to be running up and down the hills with your kids. You're going to stand in one spot, pair of binoculars, maybe a clock on the, each mile mark. You'll go to mile one, two, three, or whatever, or your parents will split up or somebody. You just didn't get that. And if you didn't have that, no one covered your race. So what would happen is at the end of a, a, a race, if you had a responsible SID, and I mean this in the most respectful way, if you had a responsible SID who got the actual um, race results and sent them to the opposing SIDs, you might get a story. But most cases, it was a cell phone photo of the printed results that was being sent from the coach to the SID, and then you would get a two-paragraph long Little Johnny won the race, and if Little Johnny didn't come in the top 25, the team finished is what the line was. You know, how the team <laughs> is a result. So I kind of took that personally, um, and because of that, I talked to Al and was like, look, I want to make sure that no athlete, and it wasn't just cross country, I want to make sure that no athlete 
big or small, it doesn't matter if they're the, the star player all the way to the guy who cheers on the bench and hopes he gets in for a minute his entire senior year. Um, that's the kids and the stories that I want to be able to tell. It's not always what you do on the field, on the court, on the course. It's more so your contributions along the way that stories need to be told. So if you've got an athlete who may be a bench player or supporter, but they really bust their tail every day in practice, or they're getting a 4.0 in the classroom, or they're an outstanding citizen who's doing so many community service hours, and they're a great representation of your program, that story needed to be told. And it's not that nobody was telling those stories, but in the early 2000s, they weren't. Um, they're doing it now because of the way that social media works and the way that we have the internet the way it is and how everybody connects with smartphones and an instant interview and social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're doing. That wasn't around really. Facebook got started my freshman year of college, and I actually was on the team that started Reinhardt's version of Facebook. Um, I was one of the two students. My name and uh, me and Walt Smith. Uh, were the two students who represented Reinhardt who actually got us on Facebook, did all the research, sent them all the materials where it was all the dorms, what dorm the names were, what majors they had. We did all that stuff for them. So that's kind of where it started was originally at Reinhardt when I was at Cross Country. I allowed, my coach allowed me to have a only Cross Country website. So when AOL used to have those little, where you could do hometown.aol.com <laughs> backslash whatever the username was, I did one of those for cross-country. I literally was the SID of the cross-country team, and I did photos, articles, everything, and I gave everyone an equal contribution. So that's the reason what got me into it. Um, that's what challenged me. But then learning the job and learning really what went into it, and because I'm a huge sports fan as is, I knew a lot of the knowledge, but I didn't know how people actually got the knowledge. So Al took me under his wing a little bit, taught me how to do some stuff, and then later on, when I got to Florida State, I really had some mentors there that really took that step and made it a bigger passion. Yeah, Florida State, that's a pretty well-known sport management master's program. Yes, um, one of the toughest to get into uh, in the country, too, as well. BIM, Ohio University, St. Thomas down in Florida. Um, I, th I can't think of anything besides those three that are really, really big that people, that's what they go for. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I got down there, um, I graduated from Georgia College in 2009, and I actually got a job with the Atlanta Braves doing not just fan photography, but player player personnel stuff. Like, I was the kid they that Pedro Martinez, for example, when they played the Mets, said, hey, I need, I want dinner, and they sent me with a $20 bill to Taco Bell. And I went and got the tacos, came back to Turner Field, and handed them to the Pedro Martinez. So I got to meet some of these people. But I was pretty much a runner, so I had a job right out of college. But I still was working at Chick-fil-A, too, mind you. So, like, I was doing this whole Chick-fil-A thing straight out of college, was trying to become a UMD, which is a marketing coordinator with them, with a local restaurant. I did that for a year or two. And then all of a sudden, like, I graduated from college with my undergrad, and I was like, well, what do I do? Um, so when I got that position with the Braves, it also spurred some other opportunities to do photography for the University of Georgia as a stringer. Um, Clyde Felton, who's their SID there, or the head man of all the assistant AD of all communications there, um, he got me in touch with a guy by the name of John Kelly, and then I kind of mentored under him and shattered a bunch under some folks. And so then all of a sudden, I got a phone call in the mid-November that was like, hey, we know you're doing these great things. We know you're trying to learn, but you also mentioned that you wanted to take it to the next level. 
you're really young in your profession. I was 20 at the time. I graduated earlier and, uh-huh. and in high school earlier. I graduated college earlier, age-wise compared to my colleagues. So I was like, what do I do? And the person was like, look, I'm going to do some background research for you and try to think, see what I can do to help you find your best fit. And they made some phone calls, and the person was like, look, um, you're in Atlanta right now. Why don't you go check out Florida State? It'll be worth your while. And truth be told, I wanted nothing to do with Florida State just because of the simple fact of it wasn't a Georgia thing. It wasn't a a fan-based. It was I did not see myself going to a – dominant D1 school and being successful because I was a little fish in a big pond. And that's just being dead honest. Forty yeah. um, something thousand students, I was thinking there's no way I'm going to get my foot in the door at this school. Well, persistence paid off, I guess. Um, one of my closest friends in the world is Carly Wynn, and she was the center fielder at Florida State. She's two years younger than me. So she was a junior when I went down to Florida State. She was still on the softball team, and she was like, hey, you want to come take some photos of, of our senior day? My family can't make it. Yeah, I'll come down there. So I was like, all right. So I started out with that. And so I met Tina DeShazze, who was the SID at the time at Florida State. And she got me connected with some of the people. Hey, you know, he wants to intern. Would you like to be interested? We don't have any graduate assistantship positions available right now. But in the fall, we'll look at you. But right now, we're booked. So I was like, all right. So I helped them with marketing during basketball. We hosted the first rounds, the second round of the NCAA National Tournament for the women's side. Um, I got to travel the road all the way to the men's Sweet 16 to San Antonio uh, when they, they actually lost to Shaka Smart and VCU that year. Mm. But I got to be a part of that. Uh, I got to be a part of some ACC championship teams with softball, baseball. And this was all the, the year that Jimbo Fisher came on with the transition between him and Bobby Bowden. I was a part of that shift. I got to experience some really awesome things. Um, got to watch the cross country team come second in the nation in the, in the national tournament that year or national championship race. Um, football made it to the national championship my last semester there. Um, our men's basketball team was growing, so it was such an experience, and I can't I can't tell you how much it shaped what I do now. Even though when I left the D1 world and went to a couple other smaller schools, without that experience of learning every single side of the job from stats to being a page runner from somebody who just handed water to somebody. I don't take it for granted the position I'm in now because I've been to where everybody's been from a newcomer, an intern to a student worker to trash guy. Literally, I used to pick up garbage and trash at the end of games just to make sure that that it was clean. So it was a great experience though. Um, like you say, you jumped around to a, a couple of smaller schools and eventually wound up at GGC. Uh, real quick, though, I, I, I got to know, you're such a huge track and cross-country guy. What is it like being at a school with no track and cross-country? It kills me. Um, <laughs> that's the hard part. What, what, what you may or may not know, I was actually a college cross-country coach for two years. Um, at West Virginia University Institute of Technology, um, they had – no track there. They had a cross-country team that was a, what I call the pavement jungle. We had no grass. It's in the mountains of Montgomery, West Virginia, um, and I was their SID and cross-country coach while I was there. Um, I coached four years of high school as well as a high school teacher earlier in my career, and also it allowed me to have that experience to, to coach a little bit. So what I'm getting at there is – I was around it for not just my college, not my high school years, my college years, 
but after college I had coached run. So when I I took the job at Thomas University before this, and they didn't have cross country and track either. So this is back-to-back programs that I've worked in. So the way that I kind of kept in touch with the world is by following Florida State still because it was yeah. 30 minutes away, being involved with Coach Brahman and all that crew and some of the runners and friends that I had, like Keorna Lachlan, who ran for Ireland in his past Olympics. He was one of my training buddies when I was down there still running with him. Um, but it's different. I've actually made the joke, but in all seriousness, have made the comment to our AD that if and when – we ever decided to bring on a cross country and track program here, I would love to be considered as an option of moving out of the SID role into the cross country to build a program from the bottom up. Cause I've done it twice already. Mm. Um, I don't think that's what I want to do with the rest of my life, <laughs> but if they're looking to have a consultant or they're looking to start something, maybe a semester in before they hire a coach to maybe to get the process rolling, I'd love to be involved with that. I'd love to be a consultant into it or at least be on the hiring committee of knowing who we hired on as our next head coach. But, I mean, I'm still active now in the running world. Um, I mean, Gwinnett County in Georgia, if you know anything about the state of Georgia and Gwinnett County, it's the the county of running. Uh, The Atlanta Track Club, everything's here. We have the Peachtree Road Race, 55,000 people every single year. Uh, The Atlanta Marathon and and Thanksgiving area, they just had the, the, the IMG Marathon. was no more than a couple weeks ago. Uh, We actually had a tennis player here who ran it, uh, three hours and 41 minutes, so good for him. But, uh, yeah, I still went involved. High school level, one of my dorm mates is actually the head coach at Parkview High School, Mike Demarest. So I'm still involved with that community and what they do. There's a hotbed of running here. So if Georgia Gwinnett ever ever decided to expand across country and track, I guarantee they'd be successful immediately. So what's it like balancing, like you said, you were both a cross country coach and an SID. What's it like juggling both of those duties? Uh, back then, it was very easy um, because of the simple fact that we practiced in the morning at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and we'd have pool workouts in the afternoon. So I would take my lunch break and I'd, like oversee the pool workouts, go down the hallway. Everything that was that we did for those type of stuff was inside the Nilvice Center, which is where my office was located on the third floor. Um, everything else was on the second or main floor where I could kind of pop in, pop back, pop in, pop back, and always have my cell phone on me or take a laptop to wherever I was doing so I could still do some stuff. Um, the only time that it had an issue was recruiting, and the hard part with recruiting is I wanted to be able to go to races on Saturdays, but instead of being able to go to races on Saturdays, I was at my races on Saturdays. Right. I was at basketball on Saturday. I was always out there, so I spent a lot of my nights – calling, recruiting, a lot of Tuesdays and Thursdays on the road where I would be leaving a soccer game at 4 o'clock when it ended, typing the article, driving up to Youngstown to the state championship race for a Friday, and as soon as the state championship race has ended, like I get to see all the classifications from 1A to 9A there. As soon as they ended, I literally hopped back in the car and drove the three hours back south, and I'd get in at 3 in the morning, get three hours of sleep, and be back at practice the next day, or have a race, or hit the road to wherever we were going. Um, the way though that that prepared me for what I do now is while I wear the director of sports information hat here, I also oversee marketing for our department. I oversee keeping our brand. Um, I'm also the SID at the AII. So I have that to, 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 to work through. Um, 
it allows me to be able to be multitasking. So like right now, this is the first time all day I've sat down. Um, I have been nonstop working on game notes, fan guides, media guides, um, senior scripts, PA scripts, timelines. I wrote a National Player of the Week article no more than 10 minutes before I talked to you. Uh, I talked to Libris today. The, the company who does video and file storage, I did a, a trial run with them today to kind of figure out what they do and what they have to offer. Um, as soon as I finish with you, about to go unpack my new apartment with my wife. Uh, right. And after that, I'll write another article tonight. And then tomorrow morning, I'll be back in here meeting with my coaches for prep for the weekend. So it allowed me to get that experience of being bang, 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 but also still have that separation of life where I know I can cut off my phone at a certain point in time or spend time with my wife or my dogs and still have that experience. So what is your work-life balance? I mean, you like you said, you're go, bang, bang, bang. Like you said, I mean, what, what do you do to kind of kick back and relax? So that's a great question. Um, <laughs> in the fall, I do really do get a lot more relaxing done in the fall than I do in the spring. Um, I'll give you kind of a, a brief fall versus a brief spring versus a brief summer and how they, they counteract with each other. In the fall, we just have men's and women's soccer that is actively competitive that I have to be at no matter what. Um, we also have men's and women's tennis going on, but that's an individual sport base where they're going through the ITA regionals, nationals, the Super Bowl, the Oracle Cup, all those things. But we also host the Grizzly Open, which has 20 teams throughout the United States. It's not just in the Southeast. It's literally as far as Hawaii, Texas. People come from all over to this because of who we get to play and what the caliber region is. Um, so in the fall, I have a more of an opportunity to spend time with my wife and doing things at nighttime where a soccer game is timed, where baseball and softball is not timed. So you're depending on weather and what's going to happen and everything like that. Well, soccer, once the clock goes, the clock goes. Um, in the fall, I, I will have my maintained office hours. I'll do the 8 to 5. And then, you know, on game days, that'll change. But in the spring, it's different. I don't usually maintain that many office hours in the spring just because of the simple fact that when I am in the office, it's prepping for the game. Um, we host – let me go back and think about this because it's changed. We originally were going to host – 97 events this spring but instead we are now up to i think 104 is where the number has changed we host 104 home events in the spring and out of the 365 days of the year a minimum of 300 something's going on here at georgia Gwinnett. our facilities are being rented um local like perfect game comes here and does baseball we have photo shoots here sometimes for outside companies um, we hold tournaments for softball where high schools play each other using our field. Soccer, we host a Korean soccer men's league here on the weekends. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, tennis hosts Alta, ITA, all those type of tournaments. So there's always something going on. So in the spring, the way that I counterbalance that is I don't come in to my office until sometimes noon each day. Um, if I've got a baseball game that's a doubleheader at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday or, or a Tuesday like last night, I didn't come into the office today until 11 o'clock. Um, what I do is I'm up until midnight, so I get up, I sleep until about 8, 8.30, get up, spend some time. My wife's already gone. She's a teacher, but I spend some time with my dogs. I eat breakfast. I catch up on bills. I catch up on life. I call my family. I go on jogs. I go on runs. I hit a bike. Uh, do whatever I'm doing to keep my physicality in check, too, as well. Um, and then in the summertime, it's a complete day and night. I'll do the Monday through Thursday 
seven in the morning till three in the afternoon. So I get my 40 hours in, but then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, my wife and I will travel. Um, that first part of June, I'm active in the community with doing COSIDA, uh, NACTA, NACM, or NACMA, excuse me, conventions, doing NAIA, SIDA conventions, doing those things, continuing education. I'll go to Emerging AD down in Columbia, or Clayton State University in Morrow, Georgia, about an hour from here. I'll go to that with Tim Duncan. He's a great AD down there, does a good job with that program. Um, and just try to do continuing education where pretty much the whole month of July I'm prepping for August and then that work-life balance happens again. <laughs> the best thing that I tell people and advice is, is to know your separations and boundary and how it affects not just your spouse and your family, but your personal well-being. Um, when I first took the job here at Georgia Gwinnett, my wife and I were still cohabitating in two different parts of the United States. Um, so there were times that I checked out for three days. I didn't answer my phone. Um, I would The email would pile up, but then when I got back, work was my focus until she got here in June. And then when she got here in June, I restructured my life a little bit to where I could have a, a balanced life, and it's, it's been a great year. Um, my wife is a school teacher, so she works kind of the same hours I do, except for the game day nights. So we see each other in the morning, we'll see each other at night, and then on the weekends, she will do what she needs to do while I'm away at games. And so when, she, when we come back, if we're both off on a Sunday, we retreat to uh, Chattanooga, which is almost two hours away, or we'll go to Athens for the day, or we'll go see my family, or we'll do something. I mean, shoot, we've driven, we've gotten up at four in the morning and driven to Tybee Island for the day just to get up the next morning at two or three to get back at work in time. It's just all about making it a quality versus quantity. Uh, I want to go back to something. That was all fantastic, by the way. Um, I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago about your marketing. Uh, you guys are in in a position in Georgia to where, <clears throat> excuse me, because as I cough on my podcast, I'm professional. Um, how do you kind of get publicity? We've talked about on other podcasts when you have to go up against Georgia Tech, UGA. I mean, your guys' tennis program is phenomenal, like you said. How do you get that sort of attention and bring it to GGC? So I'm going to answer this two ways. Number one, let's discuss who's around us first. You okay. said UGA. You said Georgia Tech. But we're also battling Georgia State, Kennesaw State, Emory, Oglethorpe, Mercer University, Valdosta State. And you're also in the Deep South, which means high school football is king. Um, so what you look at in this area is you always see the local newspaper on a Thursday where they're previewing Friday's high school football games. And then on Friday... They're previewing Saturday's college games, and they might give a little shout-out to you then, just on that little space. And then on Saturday, they're reviewing what happened on a Friday night football, and they're prepping you for NFL football. And then on Sunday, you got the results from college football, and then you might have a little teaser about what happened around the other sports. What I do, and it's the reason why, and this is something that I preach to every NAIA, especially at the NAIA level, I preach this statement and I, and I advocate this with every SID I come in contact with, is respect of others' time. And what I mean by that is at the end of the game, it takes you five minutes to stop what you're doing, to wrap up your stats, pull up your email, and send a stat file, XML, PBX, uh, the play-by-play, -play, the box, whatever you need to send to the other school. It takes five minutes to do that, reporting to school. And that's all you got to do. 
So that's the first step in it. So when you asked about that, that, that competing, I also have to compete with the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Falcons, the Hawks, the Gwinnett Gladiators, or excuse me, the Atlanta Gladiators now, the Gwinnett Braves. Um, I've got all of that to work with, plus the media market, because Atlanta has The Walking Dead, Stranger Things. Um, it's, it's, everything's going on here. Tyler Perry, Medea, everything. So what I'm competing with is saturation of market. And what I'm trying to say by that is besides competing with the other schools is there's so much that you can do within a five-minute drive of my school that I have to make it valuable for what experience that you are here for when you are here. So when you have the option to go somewhere else, you still choose us over the other places. So what I mean by that now is coverage. Getting back to what I was saying previously. By taking the five minutes and giving the other teams what they do, it automatically puts respect back on my school and my department and what we're doing. Everybody wants to come and play us or come to our games because they know they're going to get a result. They know they're going to get stats, and they aren't having to ask and beg for other schools 24, 24, 48, or 72 hours later down the road. Um, That's where it first starts. The second part about it is making it all about the experience they have here. So... Whether it's a T-shirt cannon, a T-shirt toss, a tablet giveaway. We're giving away a tablet this year just if you tweet a photo in the stands that proves that you're here that says hashtag GGC Athletics. Um, Doing first pitches, giving group nights, allowing them to do fundraisers. If if we're going to give you 30% back of what tickets that we sell, it's a great fundraiser for you because you're getting 30% of everyone who comes in the door. Um, doing those small things. So that marketing side of the competition, we do T-shirts, we do propaganda. I've got prize pack bags, actually, that, like, we've got these little prize pack bags. We've got the posters that I designed that I stick into every business into the community. I've got free car wash stickers to <laughs> games. I've got cups that I'll give you, first 50 fans, 25 koozies, first 25 people. Um, we've got another thing too is we have social media cards and that's the biggest thing that I think is the best resource for people is is the great little social media card that we have that's got every single account that our school has whether it's Twitter or Instagram Facebook and on the back it gives the website but we hand these out at every event we are at Um, when I got to Georgia Gwinnett they only had 894 followers on Twitter we're at 1500 now and that's not even been a full year I'm now here at month 13. Um, so that's not too bad. Uh, Facebook <laughs> at about 600, and now we're about 3,000. Um, at the AII level, we only had 206 as of March 14th when I took over, and we're 15 days into me being this, and I'm already at 315, 320, I think, as of today. Same thing with Facebook. They had about 60, and now they're up to about 250. It's because it's, it's reaching to people, connecting, using hashtags, using uh, at symbols. So you asked all that, and I give you all these little tiny tangents to get a bigger answer so you can understand where I'm going. Um, when you're competing, when you're marketing, you then have to do the final step, which is the actual emotional connection. And what I mean by that is, is we like to have it where I write about stuff where it hits home to people. So we have a tennis program that is probably the most dominant in the country where our men's team have won 51 matches in a row. They're the three-time national champions. Uh, we're currently 19-0 on the season, and it's just going to be one of those things where everyone 
sees our program. We have an X on our back. Our women, they're the two-time national champion. They, they were the national runner-up in 2015. They lost 5-4. They're 19-0 right now, top rank. The way that I get us exposure is I use those athletes' hometowns and foreign countries. Then it gets the attention to that level. Then I go back to the AJC. I go back to um, the ITA, which is a big benefactor. Dan Johnson, ironically, who's at the ITA, is a Florida State grad, so I got that connection. <laughs> um, so that helps build that program. But it's all about providing people what they need so they can then do their jobs. So if I can send a story to the ITA and it's in the format that they want, it's a high-quality photo, they're going to run with it. If I design a graphic, like if you go on Grizzly Athletics' Twitter pages, the graphics that I design, they're at a national level where people steal the graphics and stuff, and they use them as their graphics and their stories. And I'm not complaining about that. I feel humbled that they would like to do that. But I also give them the resources they need to do their job. And I think that's what gets us in the market and it gets us in the paper is at the end of the game, I'm not somebody who puts an article out four or five hours later. I'm writing the game or the articles as the games go. So when the games finish, 30 minutes to 45 minutes later, they have the box score, they have the story, they have the image, and they have high-quality quotes. They've got it if they want it in a verbal file. They have it all in their email. Or I can text even individual peoples, hey, here's the score real quick. I haven't sent you the files yet, but you can be in the know. Here's where it's at. We offer live stat, live video free of charge. So that's the best part about it bringing those people in and giving them resources to do their job, to be a fan and to be connected at the end of the day is why we do what we do. Real quick, and I got to let you go. You got some, you got places to be. Um, two real fast questions. One, next time someone's in Atlanta or Gwinnett area, what's your restaurant recommendation? Oh, man, Universal Joint, hands down. I'm not even going to hesitate. We're here in Gwinnett, especially Universal Joint. Uh, the Varsity in the Atlanta area, if you want a nice, fattening, beautiful, greasy meal, um, but bigger scale food-wise, there's also a place called Seabreeze Restaurant up near Lake Lanier. That's the place to go. Um, if you're looking for a great place to, to have a good adult night out, I would say Old Town Grill. <laughs> that just happens to be a happening place. Um, and then downtown Atlanta, the Sundial, if you're looking for a great celebratory dinner. Jason, thanks for coming on. Um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, multiple ways. So you can follow me on Twitter, Jason M. Hendrix, H-E-N-D-R-I-X, like Jimi Hendrix. Um, you can connect with me on Facebook. You can send me an email, jhendrix at, G -G, or excuse me, jhendrix at aiisports.com or jhendrix, the number four, at ggc.edu. Or you can hit me up on my cell phone number, and I don't care who has it. It's public record anyway, so 678-371-9528. Um, or they can go on grizzlyathletics.com and connect with me there. Send me an email, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you want to do. I'm always an open resource willing to learn and grow with anyone who has any ideas or wants to learn anything that we're doing here. That was fun, Jason. I, I really, really appreciate you coming on. I, that was that was probably – I had a lot of fun with you on as a guest, and I hope to have you on in the future. Like you said, you're pressed for time, and I'd love to have you on sometime for part two. So, uh, Thank you sounds great to me i love to do a part two with you just let me know when the best i think the best opportunity would be when national tournaments are over with and we can definitely reconnect them <laughs> sounds good to me thanks jason for coming on uh everybody that was episode 20 with jason hendricks of ggc georgia gwinnett college and the aii uh that's association of independent institutions uh had somebody ask about that
a couple days ago. So that's what I mean. Uh, thank you all for downloading, subscribing. If you could go and give a real quick rate and review on iTunes, great for algorithm on there, and it also boosts uh, you know, a certain host confidence. So uh, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you all in episode 21.